Excellent job in leading us in that singing tonight. What a delight and honor it is to be together as God's people to learn more about His will. I know on behalf of the Pippin Church, they are glad that you are here. Hopefully the things that we do tonight will be beneficial to you, draw you closer to God, and help us recognize some of the threats, uh, not just our physical beings, but also the spiritual attacks that we are receiving. Love Brother Randy Bybee and appreciate all the good that he has done. All these gospel preachers, I'm telling you right now, brethren, you have to be a preacher to really time, the energy, the effort, the headaches that sometimes we have to endure. But I'm telling you right now, every one of them would tell you it's well worth it. We are blessed. And without you and your support, your encouragement and prayers, we couldn't do what we're able to do. And it's all to the glory of God, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether I eat or I drink, I do all to the glory of our God. There was an older preacher telling a younger preacher, I did this at Salina this weekend. I, if you're here, uh, we had a family seminar, my wife and I did. And I was telling him, I said, older preacher told a younger preacher, gave him little words of advice. He said, if you're ever up preaching and you forget what you're going to say, just start quoting scripture. And you know it was about two weeks later, he was doing a wedding. And he couldn't remember what he was going to say. The only thing he could remember was, Father, forgive them for they know not what they did. So that's not appropriate. Our subject the next three nights, or I'm very passionate about it. I want to say from the very outset that I have no ill will toward anyone. I don't hate anyone. I want saved. Just like Paul said, he, his desire was that all Israel might be saved and uh, to come to know the truth of the will of God. What I'm going to say to you tonight, you're going to say, I don't know if that's exactly right. I have a Koran, uh, and I have uh, some other books, and I just brought these two. But, so when I quote from the Koran, I'm not quoting what I've read in the newspaper. I'm quoting what's in this book. So uh, especially tomorrow, you're going to look at the Bible versus the Koran, the Holy Bible versus uh, Islam's book, the Koran. At Muhammad versus the Christ. Now I've done this seminar and some of you are here, but you may not have heard this one because I have revised this. I've done it so many times. It has to be exciting to me or I can't preach it. So uh, I did 18, uh, 13 weeks in, uh, right outside of Nashville preaching there. I said, you sure you want 13 weeks of Islam? And they said, yes, we do. Or I did, but I've done it in about six different states now. I'm scheduled to go to another uh, location. A larger congregation called me not too long ago, and the preacher said, we want you to come to Islam. And I said, okay. He called me back, and about three weeks later, he said, I, he said the elder said they, that was just too negative for them. They wanted, uh, they wanted something real positive. Okay, let's keep our heads buried in the sand, and we'll be in the position we're in tonight. And I'm here to tell you, brethren, this, this is real stuff. Now, the reason I say all of that, because, number one, I want us to pray for our nation. I know you're like me. I love America. I have been in different parts of the world, preached in different parts of the world, and I'm always glad when I can land in Nashville, Tennessee, and head to Gainesburg, Tennessee, because I, I love our country. We need to pray for our country. We need to pray for our leaders. I don't care which side of the aisle you uh, one place I was at, they had a. They said, "Can we do a question and answer?" 
And the very first question was politically motivated, and uh, th that, that's not what I'm about. This has nothing to do with politics other than it's about Christianity. And everything about me involves Christianity. So hopefully you can uh, uh, read between the lines there. But notice, and I'm going to give you some, some stats. The reason I put that, I just put that up there a little while ago, because most people are going to say what happens in the Middle East and what happens in Egypt and India and other places. We shouldn't really concern ourselves with uh, This is in Middle Tennessee, folks. I did this about uh, three weeks ago at All Good. A lady was there that was a school teacher in Cookville, Tennessee, and she said, oh, you, you didn't know about Cookville, about our school system? I said, no, I didn't. She said, in our school system, our local school board allows uh, the children of Muslims, they provide a certain room where they can go three times a day. They pray five times a day, but because school is in at a certain time, three times a day, they can go in that school, in that classroom that's provided by the local school board. Now, do I have a problem with that? The problem I have with that is, why don't we allow Christians to have a room to go pray in? Okay, now I'm going to give you stat after stat after stat tonight. And in the end, I'm going to show you what the Bible says is our responsibility as New Testament Christians. Contract exchanges Labor Day for the Muslim holiday that marks the end of Ramadan. The new contract negotiated last fall also gives Muslim workers a Tyson, a, a special program. Tyson official says that approximately 250 of the plant's 1,200 employees are Somalis and are in the United States as political refuge. Most, if not all, are to believe to be Muslim. No more off for Labor Day. They're going to be off another day, and it's going to be a Muslim day. That is in Shelbyville, Tennessee. That will probably be in your local newspaper, uh, or at least in uh, the Nashville, Tennessean. Now, let me show you some, some other things here. Islam or Christianity? The religion of Islam. I ask you tonight, give you a test. Well, you know about Islam. You'd say, hmm, not a whole lot. Well, I hope the next three nights you're probably going to know more than you really want to know. But what I want you to do is to understand how Islam got started, what the agenda of Islam is. The religion of Islam claims that Mohammed was a great prophet as Jesus Christ. Deuteronomy 18, there was going to be a prophet arise that's uh, greater than Moses. That Muslim says, or Islam says, that was Mohammed, not the Christ, not Jesus Christ. And succeeded the, the New Testament, uh, and that Muslims' teaching should be followed instead of, uh, of Christianity. Now, or the Bible. I want to give you a brief summary of Islam, briefly. Okay, I've got to go fast. So just, just, just listen to what I, I'm going to show you. Islam is the proper term for the religion revealed. As a matter of fact, somewhere in Arabia, around the 600s, and the word Islam means submission. I've been on long rides, not too long, a couple of years ago, and I asked, uh, playing, you know, dumb. Well, that didn't hard. I wouldn't have to do that. That didn't take long, I would say. Islam, what is that definition of Islam? Oh, we believe in submission to Allah. Oh, okay, and uh, that's what the word means? Yes. Well, that's exactly what this says too. The Arabians are descendants of Ishmael. So Islam claims to be, Islam claims to be a renewal of the ancient religion of Abraham traced through Ishmael. 
Well, Ishmael Bible character, was he not? Was he not the son of Abraham? Absolutely. You know what the Bible says about Ishmael? Genesis 16, 11 and 12. And the angel of the Lord said, said to her, Hagar, Behold, you are with a child, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. Now listen to this. He shall be as a Man. Ishmael, not the promised child through which the Christ come, Isaac, but Ishmael would be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man shall be against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Now this is what God says is going to happen to Ishmael. He's going to be a wild man, his descendants will be wild, and every hand will be against him, and he will be against everyone else. Still fighting the descendants of Ishmael even tonight as we speak. Muhammad was born in Mecca in Arabia about 570 A.D. Orphaned at a very early age, he was raised by his grandfather and then his uncle. Now listen to this. His family was aristocratic and influential. In the time around 600 A.D., the culture, uh, the environment, of uh, that area was very pagan. So when Mohammed came on the scene, his family was against paganism. Good thing. Started out wanting to do the right thing, it seems. He grew up in times of religious and political confusion. As a matter of fact, there was a lot of uncertainty at that time. And at the age of 25, he married a wealthy 40-year-old widow named Katijah. Now listen to this. At the age of 40, he began to receive dreams and revelations. He claims. He didn't know the source of that. Where, where are these coming from? But he started writing them down. And his wife convinced him that these messages were from God today. His wife convinced him that. There wasn't enough evidence that it was from God. And all he had to do was read, of course he probably didn't have it, but Galatians 1 verses 6 through 9, even though we are an angel from heaven, preach anything that we, uh, any other thing than that which him be accursed. He says that twice in verse 9, and then he said in verse 10, if I become a servant of uh, man, I'm not a servant of Christ. And we're seeking to serve Christ. He believed that he got these dreams and these uh, revelations from God. And he was rejected by the people at Mecca. And he fled to Medina, where he actually had a, uh, a religious war and he became a very political leader. And by a series of violent battles, he obtained income and converted people to Islam. Eventually, he, led, uh, he had to go back to Mecca or he went back to Mecca and he captured Mecca and he did it by force. Our Lord said, pray for those that despise you, use you, persecute you, and say all manner of evil falsely for my name's sake. John 18, 36, my kingdom's not of this world. Peter put up the sword. Those that live by the sword shall die by the sword. His whole agenda was that he was going to make people believe what he believed. Uh, notice also at the age of 63 to 65, most that's, I asked the fellow that was a, uh, he said he was a very skilled uh, Islamic uh, leader, and I said, "Oh, I said you must have 
doctors. I said, what, what age was it when Mohammed died? He was about 64, 65. And, and I said, who was it that took his place? Oh, that's where we are divided. No one was appointed to succeed him. He didn't choose a, a successor. So they divided. So when you're looking at the Muslim religion... You're looking at a very divided religion. Now, you'll notice I have up there two major uh, denominations of that religion. Number one, the Sunnis. The Sunnis are 70 to 75% of all Muslims in the world would fall under that category. Now, the radicals and the jihadists and those that are causing so many problems in our world today, they're all under this category of Sunnis. Now, the Shiites are more peaceful, more peaceful. But now, you'll see in just a moment just how peaceful they are. The world's, uh, this is what's alarming, folks. You know the world's uh, population today is about 7 billion. And did you know that in the next 20 years, it has been projected by those that have done studies that Islam grow by 35% in the next 20 years? Wouldn't it be great tonight if we knew that the churches of Christ would grow by 35% in the next 20 years? If we could motivate and get our brethren on fire and we all have a great revival, a spiritual revival in our own lives and in our congregation, I believe we can make a difference. But brethren, can you imagine 35% in the next 20 years? 1.6 billion and that's going to grow to 2.2 billion by 2030. I hope they're wrong. But also, I want you to notice that the world's population today, 23% of them, belong to Islam. I asked the fellow that I was on the plane with, and I've read the books, but I asked him, I said, what do you have to do to become a Muslim? He said, oh, I can send you all that information. He said, just give me your name and your email address, and I will send you off. And I said, well, I don't know if I want to give you some e my email address. I said, I've already been threatened. Brethren, did you know that Brad Harrop gave a Islam uh, seminar in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and they had to carry a man out who was from the mosque down in Murfreesboro because he disrupted what Brad Harab was teaching? Did you know that there are folks right here in Cookville, Tennessee that dislike you and dislike me? They go to Tennessee Tech. And did you know I can show you emails, I can show you private messages on Facebook where folks say, Jack's going so-and-so to take the truth of Islam revealed. And I get these messages. I don't know how they do it. I'm not even their friend. But I get their, their private messages. I gave it to a private detective and he said oh we can check that out he said I don't know how they did it he said some way they've got into your Facebook page without any kind of, of linkage we can't trace it we don't know where it's coming from hmm right here at home brethren it's right here at home six million Muslims in America I did this at a place uh, and right outside of Detroit a place called Garden City Michigan and there was some folks there from uh, from Dearborn, Michigan, by the way, which has the largest population of Muslims in North America. And one fellow was there just to listen. He said uh, he was trying to study. Uh, I think he was probably a Muslim, but he didn't want to admit it with all the Christians there. But he said, oh, that is a very low number. Six he said, there are many, many more Muslims. Then I go somewhere else, and they said, no, there's not that many more. I, I asked Brad... I Brad Harib and I talked about it. And I said, how many do you think they are? And he said, no way of knowing. Because as long as they're the minority, you'll never know how many there are until they become the majority.
They are converting people in our prisons. They are in Detroit and Dearborn, Michigan. A good friend of mine, Mike Pickett, that goes to Michigan with me. He is third in rank in that 1,200 women population in that prison. And he said that Churches of Christ and a lot of the other major religious groups do not, cannot go in there and teach the Bible. But did you know who's teaching and converting so many of those alienated, angry prisoners? The Muslims. He said, I, I know. He said, I could get in trouble for telling you that, but that is absolutely the facts. He said, it's discouraging. Now, Islam is the fastest growing religion in the world today. You know who we're, you know, we have bragged about being the fastest growing religion in the 60s? You know they are today? It is, just type it in, do some, uh, go to search engine and say, what's the fastest growing religion or what will be projected in the next 20 years? Islam. But brethren, what I want to do tonight, I want to go and look behind that veil. Look at Islam tonight. And if it is from God, if they are teaching the truth, we need to be Muslims. What I want to do, and my purpose for doing this tonight, is I want to teach you how to teach others because it's going to start being problems. We're going to have to educate ourselves where we can teach people that we will come in contact with. I've been in a little written debate. Uh, there was a, a, a lady that uh, she asked me of, she said she'd been trying to get the Muslim, uh, her friends that she works with to come here, but they won't come, but they, they will talk to me back and forth. We've been emailing back and forth. And I'm going to tell you some things that they said uh, tonight because I don't want to mis misrepresent them. I'll give you some quotations from them. Now, this is March 15, 2014. 150 Christians, Matt, and that Christian should be quotation marks, massacred uh, by jihad Muslims last night while they slept. That's not the way I spell jihad. I just uh, copied and posted, okay? So uh, that's the way they spelled it. Now notice this. While many of us enjoyed our Friday night evenings, a massacre was taking place in Nigeria that left between 100 and 150 Christians dead around 200 homes burned to the ground. These jihad attackers set fire to their homes, and when the Christians attempted to escape their homes, they were shot to death or butchered with machetes. The ones who could not escape their homes burned to death. Now, I was a little concerned about, you know, saying all this in front of uh, smaller children, but I'm going to tell you something, friends. Close their ears, whatever you got to do. This is a fact. I got this. Uh, out of newspaper. USA Today had this. These attacks were part of a larger genocide of Christians in southern Kanduna. Now, let me, let me sh show you something. Let me tell you what I told that Muslim. Then he started getting sleepy. I said, if you guys are so peaceful, if you guys are so friendly and so, so uh, nonviolent that you're, you're all saying, and all the major news media says, oh, they're, they're, not, they're not violent then why in the world, if you stand on the street corner of Egypt or Nigeria or in some of the villages in India that you could have your head severed from your body? Peaceful people don't do that. And he said, I'm getting very sleepy. Sound like a peaceful religion to you? Listen to this. Fox News. This is in Arizona. There was a man living near Phoenix who threatened to kill his wife. 
And uh, he was uh, telling her that Islamic, right gave, uh, Islamic law gave him the right to do that. When the police came to arrest him, and his name was Ansar Muhammad, 43, and he's facing ver uh, several charges, you know what he said to his lawyer and what he said to the police when they arrested him? He said, Islamic law gives me the right to do that. She is my property. And uh, 1,200 uh, prisoners in Dearborn, Michigan, ladies, and many of them have been converted. And how in the world, why in the world would you convert to a religion that looks down and de degrades women like that? I don't understand that for, for the life of me. But they, he held her. He, uh, matter of fact, he picked her up and uh, treated her like a little baby. Put her in a vehicle against her will. But my point tonight is, his argument was, because he's a Muslim, that Islamic law gave him the right to do that. Not only that, in Dubai, Al-Qaeda, Chief Ayman uh, Zawari, has called on Muslims to kidnap prisoners or Westerners. Now, this is what concerns me because I go to India and been to Jamaica and Haiti and these other places to preach. And what are they trying to do now? They're saying they're calling all Muslims to kidnap Westerners, particularly Americans. Hmm, that sounds like a real peaceful... Uh, action there. Who could thus be exchanged for jihad or jail jihadist, including a blind Egyptian uh, cleric convicted in 1995 of conspiring to attack the United Nations in other landmark, New York landmark. I want to go back to that because I want you to notice what he says. He said they pray. he's praying to Allah, his God. He says, Allah, you are the glorious one. Help us free Dr. Omar and the rest of the captive Muslims. I ask for help from you, God, from Allah, to help capture Americans. Now, that's what God's, his God, his Allah, is in the business of doing. And I've got brethren that when I get through giving these lectures, they'll come up to me and they say, I don't know if that's, you know, we don't never hear, why aren't we hearing anything about that? Did you know that major denominations have been warning their people for years? And it seems like sometimes in the church we're the last ones to ever get on board. I, I'm not advocating you tonight that we need to be mean-spirited, we need to be ugly, that we need to start getting a sword and cutting our heads off. I'm, I'm, I'm asking us to pray for our country. Pray. I'm asking you to educate yourself that if you are, uh, one of them does move by you, you don't have to threaten to kill them, try to teach them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Give them hope. And just got a few more of these and we're going to get into something else. Notice in 2009, now this is what's alarming because you're going to see in just a minute what your tax dollars are doing. Published an article called School and Jihad, Clerics Block Education Reform in Pakistan. Apparently, Pakistani uh, textbooks continue to incite children of all ages to slaughter non-Muslims. That would be you. Islam comes in the world to dominate the world, says uh, Mahadini, who graduated from Madrasa. And jihad and martyrdom are learned as early as fifth grade in Pakistan schools, emphasizing that a Muslim has no faith if he does not wish for martyrdom. Now look at this. 2002, Americans set up a payment schedule for aid to Pakistan, $3 billion to feed their school system. And what are they learning in their school system? You can look at the next paragraph. Jews are an enemy of the prophets. 
Islamic education for fourth grade. Drive out the Jews. Our Arabic language for fifth grade. Jews are evil. No wonder the Jews, the news media published pictures of children happily playing out the beheading of Paul Johnson and other unfortunate victims of Islam. Isn't that sad that they're teaching their children in the second, the third, and the fourth grade to hate non-Muslims? To hate Americans? To hate Jews? Brethren, I'm glad to say tonight that our God is a God of love. I'm glad to say tonight that our God is a God of peace and love and kindness. And by the way, that's the way His people act too. Now, I'll give you a couple more. Muslims murder Christians a Christian man right in the front of his son. This is May 1, 2014. They drag his body to the mosque. They tie his body and mutilate him in Egypt. And I'm not going to read all that, but it would almost... I can just picture that. What that child had to witness. All done in the name of religion. Isn't that sad, brethren? that that is taking place? Islam, is it a religion of violence? They don't mind telling you that when uh, some, the terror attack ha happened and the World Trade Centers, uh, the World Trade uh, Centers were attacked, they didn't mind acknowledging that we won. We were victorious. They were glad to claim it. 3,000 people died. Oh, so sad. Islam's not a threat. You tell the Christians in Lebanon, the Hindus in India, you tell the people in Iraq and the Egyptians uh, and, uh, or the cops there in, in Egypt, you, you just go and tell these people that are suffering so much. In, in, did you know in some of the villages in India now that we can't even go by the Muslims. Brother Solomon said, we used to go there and preach, brother. We can't go there and preach now because they're Muslims and they don't like Christianity and they, will, uh, they have made threats against our preachers. Brethren, no problem when they're the minority. But when they become the majority, you will convert or you'll keep your mouth shut or you'll die. That's the fact of the matter. Storming the embassy, remember that? Storming the M, Islam will dominate. It has been said that Islam, the agenda of Islam is that one day in the future that they want the United States, not to be United States of America, but United States of Islam. Islam will dominate the world. That's their agenda. Will they tell you that? Absolutely not. Would our uh, people in charge tell you that in America? No. But I'm here to tell you, friends, it, it, it's, it's happening all over the world. It really is. They have five pillars of faith, and I'm going to go through this rather quickly because someone asked me, uh, could you tell us just basically what they believe? Those are the five pillars of faith. And by the way, their, their religion is based on works. That's all the way through here in the Quran. It's all based on work. But the ultimate victory in all of this is to be able to die as a jihadist. You can have paradise. You can have, there will be wine. There will be women in paradise for those that die as jihadists. Notice the, the shahada testimony, declaration of faith, that there is no God worthy of worship except Allah. And Muhammad is his messenger. 
or prophet. The question is, is their Allah the same as our uh, Jehovah God? And I say, no, not at all. And I'll tell you why. Mohammed, this is another one, Mohammed being God's messengers can be placed in the same category with every other human creed, discipline, and manual. For the law was given by Moses and grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Friend, it didn't come by Mohammed or anyone else. This is my beloved son. I believe one of some of the most powerful verses in all the Bible found in Matthew 17 when God put his stamp of approval upon his son Jesus Christ and he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. If you want to go to heaven, if you you want to have the hope of eternal life, you've got to hear my son. Period. Exclamation mark. No question about it. No prophet going to come after Jesus that is greater than Jesus. There is going to be no one. There's not going to be another will and testament after uh, the testament of Jesus Christ. The, the Salat is the call to prayer by the museum and the minor. Pray in the mosque on Fridays. I've been to Jerusalem. We were in Jerusalem, in Israel. And did you know that the church of our Lord that you read about in the book of Acts that was prophesied in Isaiah 2 and also in Joel 2, fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, did you know that was going to take place in Jerusalem according to Luke 24, 46 through 49, that the church, that precious institution that our Lord died for, it was going to happen in Jerusalem, that holy city. And did you know tonight there's not even the Lord's church there? There are two or three mosques there. Mmm, so sad. We were there for the call of prayer. I listened to the call of prayers. Prayers are said at dawn, midday, late afternoon, sunset, and nightfall. And it's the rhythm of the entire day. And they have different prescribed prayers. And uh, I wrote the prescribed prayer down. I'll go back to that. But notice, it, this is what they say. If you're ever in a place where, in, in the airport, sometimes you'll hear a Muslim and he's praying. I don't know what he's praying, but if I could translate it, that's what he's saying right there. Repetitious prayer. Testify there's no one worthy except God. No one worthy except God. Testify that Muhammad is the messenger of God. And they say that over and over and over and over again. And by the way, all the airports today, they have a place for the Muslims to be able to pray. Prayers are said at dawn. You know, in a certain time. Five prescribed prayers. You know what Jesus said about that? When you pray and you fast or whatever, you, you don't do it to be seen of men. You don't do it to draw attention to yourself. You don't get up and now say, I'm having a, a, a prayer and a fasting. Obviously, I've not done that lately, but you wouldn't want to announce that. That's the congregation. That's the, that's, you don't do that. That's, Jesus said you go into the closet and you pray, and, and, and you don't pray on the street corner to be seen of men. Well, there's other problems, but that's one of them. Also, I want you to notice, and I, am I going the wrong way? I think I am. But notice here, John 9, 31, even though it's not within the context of prayer, I believe it would apply. Now, we know that God here, there's a principle there, that we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God, and doeth his will, he heareth him. First Peter 3, 12, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open to their prayers, but his face is against those that do evil. Ephesians 1, in verse 3, Paul said, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly place in Christ. Friends, if you want to pray to God, you be in Christ, 
Christ and you can have your prayers answered. Acts 4.12 Neither is there salvation in any other for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must uh, be saved. Also, I want you to notice since most to these God-given precepts, they can pray a thousand prayers and they can face north, south, east, or west, their prayers will be in vain. I hope you don't think that's being judgmental, but I'm just sharing with you what the Bible says. Friends, people knock on my door and they'll say, uh, I say, you believe Jesus Christ, Son of God? Not like you do. No, he was a good man, but he was not. He's not God. But you don't know what the Bible says. Friends, there's one thing that I know for a fact. The Bible says that if a man will not accept Jesus Christ as the Son of God, he's not going to heaven. That's what he said in John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man can come to the Father except by me or through me. You've got to believe and accept Jesus the Christ. The sakat, the giving of the charitable, the almsgiving. You know, not all these things are bad but it's the fact that they have to do it and they're told when to do it. It's about two-fifths of their income. And I'm going to go through, uh, through this because I want you to look in the end because I'm almost through. I can give you all these slides. Matter of fact, I counted today. I think I got 1,400 slides. Not, not tonight, but 1,400 slides altogether. So don't get too nervous. on it. But I, I do want you to notice this right here. Although fasting is beneficial to health, it is mainly a method of self-purification and self-restraint. God states in the Quran, I'm going tomorrow night, I've got 20 quotes or 25 quotes from the Quran. Then I'm going to show you what the Bible says about it. God states in the Quran, O oh, you who believe fasting is prescribed for you, it was prescribed to those who before you that you may learn self-restraint. That's what they say about fasting. Moreover, when you fast, this is what Jesus said, be not as the hypocrites of a sad, sad countenance, for they, now listen to this, disfigure their faces that they may peer unto men to fast. Verily I say to you that they have the reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thy head, wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto the Father which is in secret. And, the, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. I've been in a written debate with a fellow uh, right outside of New York. Never heard him. He's wanting to see my picture. And I said, you know, you didn't get my picture. Uh, no, uh, I don't want to get into that. But you know what I told him? I said, have you ever read what Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18? I'm concerned about your soul, friend. I'm not wanting to win an argument. I want you to go to heaven. God wants every person to be saved and go to heaven. Do you understand that we cannot mandate if the elders got up and said, okay, everybody's got to fast this week, they don't have the authority to do that because Jesus did not give us the authority to do that. Did not command that. Now, let me show you something else. The Hajj, the pilgrims to Mecca must be done at least once in a Muslim's lifetime. In other words, two to three million Muslims will make that pilgrimage every year to Mecca. And they'll turn a certain way and they'll go to the black Kaaba and they'll go by and they'll touch it and some of them will kiss it. Uh, I've been to the Taj Mahal. You have to take your feet off. That's run by the Muslims. And uh, because we are Americans, they, you know, they were trying to... They were a little mean to us, but I told those boys that were with us, maybe John Mayberry, I don't know if John was with me or not, but anyway, I said, whatever you do, don't say anything about a Muslim right now. I said, because I don't want to die over here in, in India. And I said that, and he said, you know, you're absolutely correct because those people, they treat that like it was heaven on earth. That's what they treat it like. I'm, I'm here to tell you, friends, during this three-day event, Muslims come from all over the world. 
During the Hajj, any disputes are ceased because of this pilgrimage. It represents a time of peace and kindness. You know the best time for us to travel? During this time of peace. Don't have to worry about it. Sad part is it only lasts three days. These five pillars are very important to Islam. They give the, more, uh, the followers of Islam moral and religious teaching that they can use every day. And it brought the Muslim religion as a time of unity. Brethren, those are absolutely foreign to what God says. Now, for the remainder of my time, I want you to go with me, because this is a gospel meeting. I want you to go with me First 1 Timothy 6 and verse number 12. This is the discussion that I have been having with a couple of guys at Tennessee Tech that was telling me that God authorized fighting. He said, look, if you never read 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12. Anytime you read a verse in the Bible, you have to read it within its context. You've got to know who the author is talking to, what he's talking about, what he's engaging us to do. If you go to verses 9 and 10, he's talking about fleeing materialism. You get uh, in verse 11, he talks about pursuing uh, faith and godliness and righteousness and perseverance and gentleness. Then you get to verse, uh, <clears throat> verses 12 and 13. Notice what he said, making a good confession. Now, this is what I want to talk about. Verse 11, But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on of eternal life. Whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. He told me, he said, he says to fight the good fight. He said, Paul believed in fighting. He said, have you never read 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7 where Paul was a fighter? He said, I fought the fight. I said, are you telling me that you believe that verses 12, uh, 11 and 12, that Paul is endorsing a physical warfare? Let's go now to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 because same author, same writer. He and I are supposed to get together at Zaxby's in about two weeks and uh, in a public place and have a study. And uh, he asked me if he could bring someone that was one of his uh, higher-ups with him and we discussed these. And I said, I would be glad to do that at Zaxby's or a public place. But I said, I want to share with you this verse. Notice what he says. This is, this is interesting stuff, brethren. Paul said, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Friends, God's people are not fighters on this earth. Somebody come up thee and hit thee on the right cheek, the Lord said you turn, or the left, you turn the other cheek. We're not supposed to retaliate. We're not supposed to be men of, and women of violence. Our weapons are not weapons of the flesh. Look at verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringeth into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. How do you bring something into captivity? Not by the sword, not by threats, not by controlling but you bring every thought into obedience to Christ. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might on the whole armor of God that you might withstand the wiles of the devil. Ephesians 6. 
You know what Paul challenges us to do? Is to fight this warfare that we are engaged. It's a spiritual war. We're not in a physical warfare. We're not going around to everyone and say, hey, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, I'm going to shoot you. Well, so what if everybody said, I believe in Jesus Christ? There's more to going to heaven than just believing in Jesus Christ. Now, this is the one that I think is so... I want you to go with me to Luke 9, and then we're going to close. Man, you're talking about what came from the very words of our Lord in Luke 9. And notice what he is telling his disciples... If you'll notice in verses 51 through 56, the Samaritans reject Jesus. Notice in verse 51 of Luke 9, And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into the village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him, because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, what wilt thou that we command? Fire down, come down from heaven, and consume them, even as Elias did. But he turned and he rebuked them, saying, You know not what manner of spirit... You are uh, for the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. That's the Lord that we serve, friends. Aren't you glad tonight? Man, the hope, the peace, the salvation that is found in Jesus Christ our Lord. Tomorrow night, we're going to look at these two books, and we're going to make a comparison. And I'm going to prove without a shadow of a doubt that this book right here is the inspired, the inerrant, the all-authoritative, the all-sufficient Word of God. You cannot be wrong when you do what this book says. Period. Any additions, any subtractions to what this book says, you are in violation of what God says to do to go to heaven. Is Islam so misunderstood? Brethren, I don't think Islam is misunderstood. Not when we really know what Islam is all about. The ones that misunderstand it are the ones that are ignorant, unlearned. Just like folks don't understand what Jesus and His kingdom, what life is all about. I'm here to tell you tonight, if you want to go to heaven, our God is such a loving, 1 John 4, 8. God loved us, 1 John 4, 11. God loved us. Therefore, we... We love Him because He first loved us. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Aren't you glad He gave? What do we have to do? We have to give our lives to Him in obedience to the gospel of Christ. In this audience tonight, as we have been studying a subject that I'm very passionate about, I want to be kind about it, and I could really, really go into more detail that you would say, I don't want my kids to hear that. I've been nice tonight. Pray. Pray for our country because, brethren, I don't want you to be discouraged tonight because I'm telling you right now, our God's in control. I don't care who the president is, will be, 20 years from now, if time's changed, my God is in control of this world. That's who I'm putting confidence in and trust in because our God is greater than any leader in the world. I don't know what the future holds, but I know the one that holds the future. Therefore, I commit my life, and you commit your life. And if you're not a Christian, would you come? Take a seat on the front row. Give your life and your heart to Jesus in obedience to the gospel by repenting of your sins, confessing 
Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, be baptized as God has commanded us in His grip and remain faithful unto God. I've never met a person on their deathbed that regretted living for the Lord Jesus Christ. I've had to be at the hospital a few times when folks said, I wish I would have listened. I wish I had to change. Friends, don't live a life of regret. Live a life of obedience, simple obedience to the gospel of Christ. Our God's such a loving, forgiving God. I'm glad that He loves sinners and He lets us come to Him. And through the blood of Jesus, we can be saved. Would you come while together we sing?